You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of a set of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled Cosmic New Year, Thoughts for New Year 1920, Collected Works, Volume 195. This is the last lecture in this set, Lecture 5, given in Stuttgart, January 1st, 1920. Today I would like to appear before you with New Year's greetings that contain what I would like to wish into your souls what the present time needs so very much. May you recognize the great urgent demands for the development of humankind and may you cooperate each in your own place and as much as you are able in the fulfillment of what is so greatly needed by humanity in our time. At such a time that symbolically expresses the confluence of past and future, I may perhaps be allowed to refer to something that I believe, even though it is connected with personal experiences, has a certain significance for looking into the whole spiritual constitution of the present time. My dear friends, in the near future, essays of mine are to appear that I wrote a long time ago, some of them more than thirty years ago. Those essays that I wrote while still in Austria were collected through the love shown by our friend Dr. Kalisko in undertaking this collection. Today, in this consideration of the new year, which may rightly also be a consideration of the times, I would like, as an introduction, to point out some of the things from those essays. What was written at that time was done in order to speak to the conscience, one can really say, of the German people, in order to give expression to what could then be perceived as a basic deficiency in the spiritual life of this German people. Allow me to read a few of these sentences, now more than thirty years old, from the article entitled, quote, The Spiritual Signature of the Present, unquote. They point to a past of thirty years ago, which then was the present. <clears throat> Standing within those symptoms of the general spiritual life that revealed itself mostly in the intellectual life of the nation, I wrote at that time, quote, With a shrug of the shoulder, our present generation recalls that time when a philosophical impulse passed through all of German spiritual life, the mighty impulse of the time which took hold of human spirits at the end of the last and the beginning of this century, and which boldly set itself the highest thinkable tasks, now is ranked as a regrettable mistake. Whoever dares to take an opposing view when the talk is of Fichte's fantastic notions or of Hegel's unreal playing with thoughts and words is simply put down as a dilettante, quote, who has as little conception of the spirit of today's natural science as of the purity and strictness of the philosophical method, unquote. At most Kant and Schopenhauer find favor with our contemporaries. The former succeeds in apparently deriving from his teachings the rather sparse philosophical crumbs that form the basis of modern science. The latter, besides his strictly scientific efforts, has also written works in an easy style and about things that are not beyond people with the most modest of spiritual horizons. 
But for that, striving for the highest levels of the thought world, for that buoyancy of spirit that paralleled our classical cultural epoch, there is now lacking any sense or understanding. The seriousness of this phenomenon only becomes apparent when one considers that a lasting turning away from that spiritual direction would be for the Germans a loss of their self, a break with the folk spirit. For this striving arose from a deep need of the German character. It does not occur to us to want to deny the numerous mistakes made and biased opinions held by Fichte, Hegel, Schelling, Oken, and others in their bold undertakings in the realm of idealism. But we should not be mistaken about the sublime tendency that ensouled them, so right and fitting in a nation of thinkers. What characterizes the German is not the living sense for the immediate reality, for the external side of nature, which enabled the Greeks to produce their glorious imperishable creations. It is instead an incessant urgency of the spirit to find the reason for things, to find the apparently hidden, deeper causes of the nature that surrounds us. While the Greek spirit lived itself out in its wonderful world of forms and figures, the Germans, more withdrawn into themselves and having interaction less with nature, but therefore more with their heart and their own inner being, had to seek their conquests in the sphere of the world of pure thought. Therefore it was the German way in which Fichte and his successors confronted life in the world, and therefore their teachings had such an enthusiastic reception, and for a time the whole life of the nation was seized by it. But also, therefore, we must not break away from this direction of the spirit, overcoming the mistakes, but a natural development on the basis that was established then must be our watchword, not what those spirits found or thought they had found, but how they faced up to the problems of research. That is of lasting value. End quote. <laughs> At that time it should have been pointed out to the German people what was now threatening to disappear from their view. In those days one still lived in a different time than today. One lived in a time when it would have still been possible in certain circles, if one had wanted to, to connect oneself with the spirit that was beginning to decline, and to act decisively to open a way for the development of new human impulses. However, human beings would have had to have been found then amongst those who called themselves leaders of the people, amongst those who were giving guidance to the youth for their later life. At that time there were no experiments of the kind that are now appearing in Russia. At that time those who were educators of the youth would have had the ability to turn back to the intentions of that former spiritual life and to let it arise again in a new form. But in those days no one wanted in the least to listen to a voice that spoke for such a revival of a truly spiritual striving of humanity. And everything that has characterized, especially the lower and higher educators of the people in these last thirty years, was an assault against the intentions of a spiritual view of the world. Today I must think about the fact that then, when I wrote those words, my interpretations of Goethe's worldview and his ideas about natural science had just been published. And I must think how I then made those who are active in the field of thinking and of scientific research 
aware of two great dangers. I then formulated two terms to characterize the two great enemies of human spiritual progress. On the one hand I spoke of the dogma of revelation, and on the other hand I spoke of the dogma of mere experience. I wanted to show that the one-sided cultivation of the dogma of revelation as it has developed in confessional circles is just as harmful as the boasting about the so-called dogmas of experience, which means all of what is only provided by the outer sense world and the world of material facts by the natural scientists and sociologists. It was then my task, in the course of time, to formulate these ideas more concretely and to point out the real forces that lie behind these phenomena. What lies behind what I call the dogma of revelation? All of what we today in a comprehensive way call the Luciferic influences on the course of human development. Whoever in our present time wants to lead humanity merely under the influence of the dogma of revelation is leading them in the sense of Lucifer. Whoever, perhaps the natural scientists, wants to lead them merely in the sense of outer sensory experience leads humanity in the sense of Araman. In our present serious time, it may not be a consideration for the new year to cast an eye over the last three to four decades to point out that it is just as essential for us today to raise once more the call that was raised then only in a much stronger way. My dear friends, by the course of external events these thirty to forty years have clearly shown how justified that call was at that time. Anyone who looks without prejudice at what has happened must say, if at that time such a call had become a reality in the minds of the people of Central Europe, what we now experience as misery and distress would not have come. At that time the call died away. Now one meets it coming from the Roman Holy Congregation in the decree of July 18, 1919, and the cathedral chaplains announce that my writings on anthroposophy may not be read because the Pope has forbidden it, so one must be instructed out of the writings of the opponents. The cathedral chaplains therefore refer not to my writings for knowledge about anthroposophy, but to those of Seiling and his collaborators. This is happening at the same time that under the auspices of a Berlin government with socialist leanings, negotiations are taking place for the establishment of a Roman Catholic nunciature in Berlin. This is also something that gives an indication of the spiritual signature of the present time. And today one would really like to appeal already to the deepest heart forces of those who are still capable of feeling something of the spiritual impulses inherent in the development of humanity, so that they may wake up and really see how things are actually going. For today it is a question above all else of people finding the possibility of coming to their own self. And to come to one's self requires confidence in one's own strength of soul. It is just with this appeal to one's strength of soul that it is hard today to reach people. <clears throat> On the one hand, people want to lean up against something that forces them from inside to think and want what is right and on the other hand they want to lean against something that forces them from the outside to think and want what is right 
people somehow always tend toward such toward two such extremes and never want to exert themselves to strive for a balance between the forces emanating from these two extremes. Let us once more cast our eyes upon something of the spiritual signature of the present, which today is about to become a social and material signature. We hear arising in Eastern Europe the old Marxist cry, A new social order must come about among people where each human being can live according to his or her abilities and his or her needs. A social order must be developed where the individual capacities of each human being become of value and where the justifiable needs of each human being can be satisfied. When thus abstractly announced, there is nothing in the least objectionable about this abstraction. But on the other hand, we hear such a personality as Lenin say that such a social order cannot be established with the people of the present time. With them one can only set up a transitional social order. One can only establish something that, of course, will contain injustice in the widest sense. It is also present to an absurd degree in everything being established by Lenin and his followers. They believe one could only produce a new human race that does not yet exist by passing through this transitional phase. And when it comes to be, then one will be able to introduce into it that social order in which each person can make use of their capacities and live according to their needs. Thus they invent a non-existent human race in order to realize an idea that, as I said, is even justified in an abstract sense. But could enough people not be found who grasp the whole seriousness of the current world situation when they hear something like this? Is it not time for this sleepiness to cease, which closes its eyes a little when something like this appears, that in the deepest sense points to the signature of the present, closes its eyes in order not to fully take in the whole significance of such a thing in any way. To come to a concrete understanding about these things, nothing else helps than to abandon the ways of abstraction in the spiritual life. But for that one must really first have a feeling for where abstraction is present, when there is only talk in phrases about soul and spirit, and one must be able to discern when soul and spirit are talked about as a reality. You see, when one speaks of human capacities, they appear as a manifestation of the inner being of the developing person. Humanity is encouraged by a number of its representatives to appropriately develop the capacities and forces that appear in the maturing human being. We only perceive truly in this field if, in a certain way, we perceive the manifestation of these forces and capacities as a manifestation of the divine. We must say to ourselves, the human being has come out of a world of soul-spiritual being into this world of sensory reality. And what expresses itself there as human forces and capacities, and what we have developed in ourselves and in others, originates in a spiritual world. And having descended from a spiritual world into this physical human body, it has now been incorporated in this body. But if you take the spirit and sense of what has been explained here for decades, this spirit and sense points out to you 
that with the incorporation of human capacities and forces in the physical human body, the possibility is given to the luciferic beings to access these capacities and forces. We cannot do anything with these human capacities and forces in the way of individual activity or activities in the sphere of education or culture without coming into touch with luciferic forces. In those regions that the human being passes through before entering into physical existence through birth or conception, luciferic powers could not directly approach the human capacities and forces. The incorporation in the human bodily system is the means whereby the luciferic powers can approach human capacities and forces. Only by impartially facing up to this fact do we come to a right attitude in life to all that gushes forth in human nature as capacities and strengths. If we do not want to see the luciferic, if we deny it, then we are trapped by it. But it is just then that we get into that state of mind that wants to deliver us entirely to something internally compelling, to be thus relieved by all kinds of mystical or religious powers from the necessity of appealing to the free self of the human being and to seek the divine in the unfolding of our own free selves in the world. People don't want to think for themselves. They want a vague power to express themselves from their inner being according to which they can prove themselves logical. They don't want to experience the truth. They don't want to exert themselves to have that inner free experience that also experiences the truth. They want to experience the inner compulsion that compels them from within and expresses itself in the proof that does not appeal to experience, but to the power of something spiritual that will overpower and force them to think this or that about nature and about the human being. But in appealing to this inner compulsion, this inner power, people are delivering themselves up to the luciferic powers. The means that can be used so that people appeal to this compulsion, so that they do not raise themselves to stand freely within the spiritual world, are to forbid them to think that the human being consists of body, soul, and spirit, as was done by the Eighth General Council of Constantinople, and to do away with any concern for the spirit. These are coincidences that must no longer be overlooked today, and must be clearly and impartially looked at. At that time in the year 869, when it was decided that people must no longer believe in the spirit of the human being, the inclination toward Lucifer entered European civilization. And today we have the fulfillment of that. People have given in long enough to the inclination not to experience the truth, but to allow the compulsion of proof, of impersonal proof, to act upon them. That has thrown them to the other extreme. People have not learned to occupy themselves in a pertinent way with the human capacities and forces and have not wanted to admit that luciferic powers live in the human capacities and forces when they are incorporated in the physical body in the way I have just explained. Thereby people have experienced the wrong attitude toward the individual capacities and forces to which modern humanity has come which is currently the order of the day. At the other pole of the human being, 
are human needs, those needs that initially express themselves in the purely physical nature. In his title, Aesthetic Letters, Schiller contrasted these needs so beautifully with the abstract logical power and called them the essential need, not durft, while he characterized the logical compulsion as the other power, the power deviating into the spiritual. At that time, during the great period of German development, such a personality as Schiller was on the way to correctly understand the contrasting polarity of the human being. Then the time was not yet ripe to say more than was said by Schiller, Goethe, and those of like mind. Our new time is faced with the necessity to build these things further, and then it becomes anthroposophically oriented spiritual science. Those who only know the one-sided power of proof in the spiritual sphere in their lives also only learn to know the one-sided driving force of nature in human needs. You can easily imagine when human beings enter into the physical sensory world with their capacities and forces through conception or birth and Lucifer comes over them and takes something that the human beings themselves should have on the one side, on the side of the head, so to speak, then there also remains for the human beings themselves a lesser capacity to assert their independence in the sphere of their needs. Through what Lucifer appropriates for himself on the one hand, Araman on the other hand gains the possibility of appropriating what is at work in the needs of human nature. And so, along with that, that possibility and the dogma of mere outer sensory experience, the door is opened to the penetration by Araman of the instinctive life of humanity in the last third of the nineteenth century. And so, in not realizing that healing lies in the equilibrium between the two extremes, between the capacities on the one hand and the needs on the other, modern humanity stands before a dreadful fact. Out of its materialistic mind, it only looks upon the body that produces the capacities, meaning only upon the luciferic origin of the capacities, because through the fact that the capacities enter into the body, they become luciferic. And when one believes that the capacities come from the body, then one believes in Lucifer. <laughs> and when one believes the needs arise from the body, then one only believes in what is aramonic in those needs. And what experiment is currently being made over in Eastern Europe under the guidance of the West? This guidance not only appears so obvious because Lenin and Trotsky are spiritual students of the West, but also because Lenin was dispatched to Russia in a leaded coach with Dr. Helphand, so that what is called Bolshevism was imported goods from the German government and the German high command. What is being attempted there in the Eastern European culture? There it is attempted to eliminate everything that is human, everything that incorporates itself as human in the human body, to harness Lucifer and Araman together in their cultural purity. If this were realized today in the East, then a creation would result from the joint efforts of Araman and Lucifer with the exclusion of everything appropriate to the human being, 
people would be harnessed into the Luciferic Aramonic culture like a part of a machine in the whole mechanism of this machine. Only a machine part is lifeless. Excuse me, only, let me read that again. People would be harnessed into the Luciferic Aramonic culture like a part of a machine in the whole mechanism of this machine. Only a machine part is lifeless and lets itself be harnessed while human nature is inwardly alive, ensouled, and inspirited and does not fit into a merely Luciferic Aramonic organization and therefore must perish. Only through spiritual science can we understand what is actually happening today in this spiritually most nebulous of materialistic worlds. But only with this spiritual scientific perception and the seriousness living within it can be understood what it means that in the last thirty to forty years we have not wanted to turn back within the German character to the German spirituality which is referred to here in my essay. On the contrary, we have finally come so far in this German cultural world that authority has become vested in those who considered it right to let the inaugurators of Lucifer and Araman be sent to Russia in a leaded coach and indeed by a man who was in their service, and who became through all the services he rendered by thus mediating between East and West, a man who during this time built himself a villa in Constantinople, another in Switzerland, a third in Copenhagen. It doesn't do today just to casually look around in order to be able to sleep well in view of what is actually happening in the depths of today's world. It should be felt today how necessary it is to say we have denied and stomped underfoot what was created in the German spiritual life at the time of Schiller and Goethe, and we have the task to start there and to continue to build. We cannot pour any better New Year's thoughts into our souls than the intention to reconnect with that. In that place, and I have already mentioned this many years ago, where now our friend Dr. Kalisko has collected my essays, there lived in the 1860s and 1870s a man called Heinrich Deinhardt, who was a Viennese pedagogue. In an age that was descending into materialism, he had the spirit to take hold of pedagogy from the standpoint of Schiller's aesthetic letters. He wrote beautiful explanatory letters about Schiller's aesthetic letters, describing how human beings should be taught to free themselves from compulsory logical necessity and the necessities only arising from instincts. <clears throat> These letters were published at that time. He was one of those who warned humanity, saying, what otherwise must take place must be prevented by means of education. He had not yet been able to speak using spiritual scientific concepts, but with his words he pointed out at that time how the Luciferic Aramonic culture would arise if humanity did not shape the science and the art of education according to a condition of balance. This man, Heinrich Deinhardt, had the misfortune at that time in Vienna to be knocked down in the street and break his leg, something that could have been healed with a simple operation. However, according to his doctors, he was so poorly nourished that the process of healing could not be completed. So this man, who already saw quite deeply into what was going on in his time, died as a result of a small accident. <clears throat> yes, that was the way people in Central Europe were treated, who wanted to find something out of spirituality. This example could be multiplied many times. Now, 
Those who write, like the Jesuit Father Zimmermann, I mentioned yesterday, will probably not die of hunger. Quote, also, for example, it is boasted in the weekly threefold social organism, number six, that the new impulse, parenthesis, a favorite expression of the anthroposophists and the threefolders, parenthesis, is based on the fullness of Steiner's spiritual knowledge. The manager of the Waldorf Astoria cigarette factory in Stuttgart has founded the Free Waldorf School for the children of the employees and workers of the enterprise, inspired by all that has come to him from the thoughts of Dr. Steiner's anthroposophically oriented spiritual science. There, anthroposophy is to be the artistic educational method. End quote. Those who mock and want to tread into the dust what wants to come forth from the spirit of the time will also not die of hunger in our present hard times. But it will be very necessary indeed that we imprint such New Year's impulses into the soul that will ensure that we do not sleepily and carelessly pass by what is really happening. Above all, we must energetically take up what is strongly emphasized by the philosophically oriented spiritual science. Oh, I see quite a few in our own ranks who would most love to sleep through those things that reveal themselves out of great compassion, out of pity for what in our time, if it were left to itself, must lead to ruin. There are weak souls who enroll in this anthroposophical society and who say, yes, spiritual science, that I like, but I don't want to know anything about social activity that doesn't belong in there. They could take an example from the opponents. The Jesuit Father Zimmermann follows everything that we do. He ends his article by saying, quote, The weekly threefold organism, number eight, certainly means that here there was an attempt by the Church to destroy the historical task of the self-determination of the individual. End quote. And also in other articles, the Jesuit Father Zimmermann has shown that he concerns himself with everything that goes on with us. So one would wish that those in our own ranks would also concern themselves about things in a positive sense. You see, I would like to say that the watchers, who only see how they can discover any kind of weakness in the field of anthroposophically oriented spiritual science and what arises from it, are not few in number. But I think you know I am not so foolish as to refer to something of the sort I am about to mention out of vanity, and therefore I can also dare to do so. Of course, the opponent's side would like to easily find a point of attack here and there. It is surely good, then, to be able to read in the essay that Dr. Rittelmeyer wrote on, quote, Steiner, War and Revolution, unquote, quote, Just in these days I spoke with a young Swedish scholar of political economy from the school of the strict national economist Castle, who said to me that he read Steiner's book from cover to cover in the expectation of being able to unmask him as a dilettante but he had not succeeded in finding him guilty of any errors. Unquote. Yes, more consideration should be given to such things in our circles. We should build on the basis of the knowledge that what is intended here has nothing to do with the customary idle talk of theosophy that takes place here and there, but which is based on just a stri as strict a judgment about things as any science that has ever established its worth. If something like that were thoroughly appreciated, then one would also know why what happened is now called a defection by Father Zimmermann. You know that that was not the case. 
but that we were thrown out because we did not succeed in bringing a real seriousness into the society of wishy-washy talk, because there a real seriousness was not wanted, because there they wanted to continue to chatter on in the same way as they had chattered for years, at best in connection with something or other about which one can say all kinds of things, without having any knowledge of the spiritual world. What our time so urgently needs is complete seriousness in the area of spiritual life. Since my being here in these days is coming to an end, I wanted to speak again about this complete seriousness on this New Year's Day, and I would very much wish that a New Year's resolution that each person can only make for themselves will be there among us, namely that through the hearts and minds of our friends eyes are opened for the vision of what is desperately needed opened for what can only come from the Spirit alone in order to help humanity. <clears throat> Today we cannot bring about healing with the existing outer arrangements. We must impress something new into the development of humanity. This must be recognized. And to feel that it must be recognized is surely the worthiest New Year's thought that can arise in your hearts today, at the beginning of the year 1920, which will bring many important decisions if people are found who recognize what humanity needs, as it was indicated today. It must be recognized that the year 1920 will bring want and misery if such people are not found, and only those have the say who want to continue working on in the same old way. The end of Lecture 5 and the end of the set of lectures entitled Cosmic New Year, Thoughts for New Year 1920, Volume 195 in the Collected Works by Rudolf Steiner.